listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Hello, One of Us listeners. My name is Nick. You may recognize my voice from One of Us shows such as The Screener Squad, The Final Watch series, and occasionally The Breakfast Pub. Recently, I ventured into the world of audiobooks and created my own production company, Mercs with Mics, which so far has been quite successful. The bad news is that's a little too successful for me to actually keep up with the workload on. So I'm looking for some freelance audio editors to help me out with some basic editing. Things like editing out flub takes, loud breathing between dialogue, and the elimination of clicks and pops and other artifacts that might end up on the audio. Payment would start at the rate of $70 per full hour of edited audio. I'm also looking for narrators, with a decent home recording setup, and at least some previous experience in acting. If you are interested in either of these positions, please contact me at mercswithmikes at gmail.com. Thank you for your time, and a special thanks to all the listeners who support oneofus.net and keep this wonderful site going. You make me proud to be one of us. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber-supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going, and get some terrific bonus content as well. It's time for Digital Noise! Insert sound of big applause. And, woo yeah. You guys are so awesome! Oh my god, I can't believe it's Digital Noise time! Digital Noise, Digital, digital noise. noise. We're here for some Digital Noise. I'm here with the boys. <laughs> oh, I don't know where to go after that. I don't sorry. know either. I'm sorry. I had not we, planned for this we, at we all. Were, we were falling into the Spider-Man theme song. Yeah. And so, Yeah. Music and lyrics by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah. Which is to say, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I have opinions. Anyway, I'm here with Aaron. Welcome, welcome. Well, I don't know why I said welcome, but there you are. Yeah, you're welcome. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm glad to be back. It's Man. been a couple of weeks. Aaron, it's always fun to record with you. And you also like uh, bought me, for no reason at all, except that you're awesome, a copy of Star Wars, uh, The Force was uh, it The Force Unleashed? Is the, that what it's called? The the Final the, the final the Jedi? Final order, the, the Fallen Order. Fallen Order, yes. Yes. Whatever it's called. But it's fu- really fun. I'm having a great time with it. It's crunch time, so I'm like tend to be able to play for 30 minutes here, 30 minutes yeah. there. But... I was having a very hard time at first because the 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 the, the lightsaber fighting is incredibly fucking hard. Yes, it is. And then someone was like, "Dude, just force push the shit off everyone." You'll notice almost every single lightsaber fight is like on the edge of a cliff. Yep. Just force push those guys off the <laughs> yeah. cliff into the meat grinding machine, whatever it is. I, it's it's one of those games where I remind myself that at my age, you know what? I put it on easy. Yeah. I play for oh, the yeah. story. Easy is so much more. No, fun. E- I'm talking about on easy. I'm still well, getting killed all terrible. the time. I am terrible. It's very true. <laughs> I have to admit, I figured out how the combat works on the last boss. Like, like going through the final level up oh, to the Oh, you finished boss, it. I was like, you know what? I get this. I you're, get it now. it now. I understand how the timing works and everything. And then I was like, oh, I... I beat the game. <laughs> cool. Oh, is that it? When's the DLC? <laughs> and now I have to play the one that you're playing now, the Other Worlds. The, the Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds. I played that with Jeff on Rage Select, and it was like, 
This is totally my time. Type yeah, of game. The, so it's Firefly mixed with uh, uh it's Firefly mixed and with like um, uh, what Fallout. Is it? Fallout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, I I bought three different single player games at one time because uh, the Jedi game, Outer Worlds, and Control all came out, and I was oh, like, I'm hearing Control is fantastic. Oh, look like perfect things, and I had some extra money and was just like, yes, th- these are my next. Three Didn't months. you just buy a house? Yeah. Where did the extra money come from? We sold a house, too. Oh, that's true. Okay. I thought we were going to get into a big Irishman discussion or something. No, like, no. hey, sometimes you like, uh, not all the meat makes it from the truck to the destination. There we go. I, I, I just, I, I took it out of a Best Buy. You're like, Chris, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. We're not here to talk about video games or the Irishman. Sorry. Hopefully, maybe yeah. I'll get to talk about that at our end of the year. But we are talking about some of the home releases that we saw. And boy, this is a tricky week of yeah, the, uh, titles. It, it is. Interesting. It's an the word I will use. Interesting week of titles. I almost felt bad when I was like assorting the list of the stuff I gave Aaron here, putting up my link so I can like uh, you know have the data right at my hands from Wikipedia and what have you. I was like, oh shit, I did not hand him a great stat no, this week. I, you know, I got to admit though, like th- there was one I had a lot of fun with. There was one that I was really intrigued with. Yeah. And there was one that I didn't have enough shrooms for, and I really wish I did. Yeah, no. It would have been perfect. I think that perfectly <laughs> describes this week. But let's get started with, I, you know, I mean, the most um, commercially accessible film that we're going to talk about this week, which is Dora really? and the you're Lost s- City you're of Gold. Here? Okay. Yeah, I'm starting here. Fine, let's go. Yeah. Oh, are you ready? You're, yeah. you're just like, oh, I can do Dora and the Lost City of Gold. I loved this movie. <laughs> Wait, loved? I, I uh, it was. Uh, 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 you know what? I'm going to call it. It's really early, but it was my pick of the week. Oh God, man! <laughs> Jesus, Christ. I can't say I'm going to go with you on picking that one here. You know, it's it, it. Trust me, there's not a lot of great stuff there to compete with it. But right, no, sure. so so Dora the Explorer, yeah. which follows Dora as she's grown up into a high school girl, as yeah. that one really creepy review acknowledged when it talked about the sexual tension in the movie you're like oh weird. stop stop she's but, like it's isabella Mo- moner 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 i don't know i, I feel moner. like you say moner because moner sounds like boner and <laughs> we don't want to go there at all uh, so who was like i guess we saw her she was in transformers last night which she was decent in that i, I it was a bad no, movie, nothing but. was decent about that movie but you know i just Whatever. <laughs> anyway, she's fine here. I don't so, mean fine, fine. She, I mean, she's fine. She plays Dora. Michael Pena is her father and yeah. an actress whose name I should uh, know. Oh, no. Eva Longoria. Eva Longoria is her mother. And basically, she is the quintessential Dora, all grown up. Diego, which if you've seen Dora, you know what I'm talking about, has moved back to L.A. and has lived in L.A. for yeah, years. Her friend, her friend Diego. Her cousin. Her cousin. Sorry. is it Was it cousin? It's cousin. Okay. Uh, played by... Don't, uh, don't, don't uh, test me on my Dora knowledge. Jeff Wahlberg, whoever um, that is. And so basically, after a couple of incidents, her parents go, look, you you need to actually go to a proper school because what we're doing is starting to border on child abuse. Yeah. And so they send her to live. Not those words. They send her to live with their cousin, Diego, and acclimate into modern American society, which the first third of this movie is... Fish out of water jokes. Yeah. It's it's the fish out of water high school. Oh, my God. High school is terrifying. It's Mean Girls. Um, and then at the end of the, the first act of the movie, the click character from each group comes together and is accidentally kidnapped by treasure hunting potential murder villains who want them to help them find this, uh, 
legendary city of gold where they can have treasure and the parents have apparently found it. Yeah, and so or at least reportedly. The rest yeah. of the movie plays out as they are fleeing the villains, it's looking a, for a, the city. It's a reverse well as, fish yeah. out of water. Because now the people who <laughs> she knew from that high school, including her cousin who's become very LAized, uh, are like dealing with now they've got to be in Dora's world where it's like the jungle and all yeah. of her experiences and oh I'm good at this. I know how to do this. And Dora's also gotta learn how, <clears throat> you know Not everyone is a jungle person. Not everyone is person. a jungle person and how to not be like they were in high school. So like uh, I admit that if you aren't a fan or if you have not had to endure Dora the Explorer, this is probably gonna be considerably less of a hilarious journey yeah, for you. I have not had to experience that. Yeah, so. because they they nail it. This feels like a parody of Dora. There are so many times where like the movie begins with the actual opening to a Dora, the Explorer in live action. Right. And it's a few minutes before they pull out of that. And they have a lot of musical references, the way the characters deliver their lines. There's a bunch of times where they turn and talk directly at the camera, but, but well, every time they do it, it's not breaking the fourth wall. It's like somebody thought they were breaking the fourth wall, but everyone else can see them. No, so they acknowledge it every it's, time. It's not even them. It's Dora. It, yeah. It's like she does it. It started even when she's a little girl in the first part of the film because she's like prepping to be a TV star. Yeah. Like she's like preparing to be well, someone and, doing and so this. Those are things that she does in the, the actual cartoon because she turns and talks to the kids and they speak Spanish back at her. My that's how my son's learning But there's a, there's a lot of meta jokes with the show. Like, the show is an animated show, and there's a point where, they, of course, they encounter hallucinogens, yep. and it goes into where they all become the animated characters, which is actually a cute scene. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's things with uh, a lot of this. Like, the, the, there's a CG monkey that's her best friend that so, they, they, they kind of, like, acknowledge that this is weird. This monkey is as smart as it is. I mean, the one part that really doesn't work is that there's a fox character Thank you. in here. Swiper. Swiper, who is, like, totally a video game character, 100%, right? Well, he, he like, is... And he, he, he... They never find a way to, to make that work as a meta joke at all, and they try. Yeah, because every other character, like, they work as the meta joke. Boots, yes, they acknowledge that the cartoon exists and Dora is potentially psychotic, but <laughs> they also acknowledge that Boots really can't talk. And, yeah. But Swiper, he's having conversations with not Dora. And so it's never really clear, is this a fox who's actually having conversations in English? And why can the fox do it, but Boots can't? It throws in a loop into the logic that feels weird. Yeah, no, it's it's... It's awkward. Yeah. And for a film that, like, is not like a masterpiece or anything here by any stretch of the imagination, but a film that's doing much better than you think it would with the material, is the way I'm going to kindly put it. Like, much better than you think it would with this material. And then this is the sore spot that keeps sticking it out well, whenever it comes up. And what's weird is that Swiper, I'm pretty sure, doesn't talk in the actual cartoon. So th they made him talk, and they gave him the outfit, even though it doesn't make sense. It's it's basically Swiper's a bad idea. And you've also got Eugenio Derbez in this, playing a guy who is ostensibly an ally. And he really is playing a role that, like, he has played many times before. It's sure. kind of a... 
Like, this guy's one of Mexico's biggest, most popular comedy actors. I keep saying every time I see him in something, like, how is this? I'm not, I'm still not impressed. I like show me, this. show me something where I'm going to be impressed with the Eugenio Derbez because it is not happening. He is the, 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 what was the guy who was in Young Einstein? You remember that movie? Jan Einstein? Yeah, that was before your time. No. There was this Australian actor that they're all like, he's the biggest star in Australia. And then they tried to sell him here and everyone's like, because uh, he was not funny at all here. And this feels like that. We're like, what is the deal? What am I missing here about See, Eugenio Derbez? I, I enjoyed him in this movie. I thought his character worked for the most part. Uh, so much so that when there is a turn towards the end of the movie with his character, it was like, oh, that's... <laughs> That's a little disappointing, actually. <laughs> well, there, uh, you know, we're not going to go on forever about yeah. the door in the Lost City of Gold. But if you are one of those people like Aaron who wants to own a copy of this, there are some bloopers here, which I admit were actually kind of funny. Uh, I did watch the bonus features. God help me. There's some deleted and extended scenes. There is a All About Dora feature with just focusing on Isabella Monaire. Uh, there's Can You Say Peculiar, which is uh, looking at the scenes where they do some underwater stunts and some quicksand with Eugenio Derbez, which is, of course, by definition, intolerable. <laughs> uh, Dora in Flower Vision, which looks into the animated sequence and how they did that and look into basically the, the origins, the tie-ins to the cartoon. Dora's Jungle House, which is just a behind-the-scenes tour of the place that in the beginning of the film that they're living, uh, which is their cool little Swiss family Robinson and yeah. the jungle house they live in. But, you know, like I said, this is a cute package that puts in just enough extra stuff to make it worth it to people who are like, Hey, my kids love this stuff, you know, or if you're Aaron, you love it. I, well, I can't I was gonna explain say, that. If, yeah. if you watch the Dora cartoon, this is worthwhile. Or if you're into movies like sky high that are kind of, Hey, family films, but ostensibly sky high is amazing. I okay. love sky high. I, I yeah, but you also it. said you loved this. So I'm a little worried. <laughs> I'm like, wait, am I wrong about Sky High? <laughs> no, you're wrong about Dora. God damn it. Well, let's move on to our next film, which is not for children on any level. Not because it's violent, because they will have no idea what to do with it. And that's Aquarella. <laughs> Aquarella is ostensibly a documentary. It is certainly uh, uh, about water. About water. Yes. At first I was like, oh, this is about like the melting of the ice caps, right? Like about the melting of like global warming. And parts of it are. Like but it's ostensibly not. it's about that. Yeah, but it's not really. It's about like water in all its different forms and all the ways it affects people. Yeah. And which is to say it's not a documentary at all. This is more like it's a documentary in the same sense that Kaliana Scotzi is a documentary. It's an art film. But it, it's, it's nowhere a tone poem. But it's nowhere near as good as Kaliana Scotzi. I will say though the the opening segment of this movie is fascinating. Uh, it follows some police in, I don't know, Norway or somewhere where there is sheets of ice. And they basically sit on the ice and wait for people to drive when it's thinning and go underwater where the ice breaks. And they run out to try and save them. Yeah. And Which like, I was like, that's a that, thing? That whole segment, I was... And. I was like, why are you guys driving on the ice at all? True. But I was like, okay, like, like maybe this is what the thing is, and it follows different jobs. But this whole, like, like how see. complicated and, it is to even do that? Th then it pulls away, and it kind of does this, like, five-minute close-up of the ice, and then eventually they get to a 20-minute segment, I timed it, oh my of God. waves... I admit I fast-forwarded through the 20-minute oh, segment of I Waves. I did, too. <laughs> I got five minutes in, it was like, 
Let's go to one and a half. Like, I, I was with Let's this... Let's go to ten. <laughs> I, I watched this up until they left the ice. And once they left I the too. ice, I was like, I am officially and I, not I kept going back, anymore. there's points where it's like like caves and waters with like well, tribal people, and I was like, oh, let's watch that. And they end up in New... Not, is it New Orleans when Katrina hit? It wasn't yeah. New Orleans when Katrina I think hit. It, no, Miami. Miami, yeah, when, yeah. When a different where it's like hit. a hurricane, so it's like... like it's, that footage was really interesting. It's, this is like the power of water, basically, basically the film. What we're saying is the middle third, where they're just waves... Just fast forward. Look, this is a movie. <laughs> take a lot of shrinks. This is one of those weird things. They actually had announced a screening here in IMAX, and I'd read about it. It was like, oh, this seems like a fun IMAX film. Maybe I'll get a little high before I go because it seems like that kind of movie. And then they canceled the screening, and I was like, what is that about? Yeah, this that feels weird? like a movie that would play at the music. But this feels like a museum movie. Yeah. Like one of those, like, wow, you go see it in a fucking IMAX theater and go, wow, it washes over you. I mean, it makes some odd musical choices. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. To be clear, <laughs> yeah. like at points it goes into like like death metal. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they try to go intense a couple of times, and uh. unfortunately, the music supervisor, God bless him, um, <laughs> doesn't really have a good eye for this. Yeah. So like, there'll be lots of really calm, meditative mood music that works, and then they try to make it intense, and they use the shittiest production music ever. Yeah, that they paid five dollars for the rights for, and it's like production metal. Yeah, it, it's just bad yeah i agree i mean maybe someone out there will, i'm looking at a review right now that disagrees but i'm like i found it like really i laughed la- laughable <laughs> yeah I, I it's presented in russian dolby atmos whatever the fuck that is i i assumed that was because there's like four lines of dialogue in the whole movie yeah. and it's russian yeah uh, i don't know what to tell you it's a pretty as shit i mean they've made this thing to where it's designed to be like really gorgeous looking. It is. But it's not the sort of film you can sit and meditate to either because sometimes it's being really loud and fucking metal and you're like, but for no reason. Well, it it also, somebody dies on camera in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. So it's not exactly just... Yeah, they're trying to watch calm nature. They're trying to pull cars out of the ice and somebody falls to the ice and dies. And yeah. you're like, fuck. Like, yeah, and you think, just, oh, is this what this movie's going to be about? No. It's like, this is interesting. And it's not. Yeah, it, just it's do, just do shrooms, like, smoke a lot of weed, watch it, enjoy yourself. Yeah, I mean, if you're one of those people who's got like a ridiculously huge television and you like to get fucked up on psychedelics or near psychedelics. Watch this movie. Then this is going to yeah. be your thing, maybe, but it wasn't for me. No, Let's go either. a bit back in time for the film Winter Kills, a 1979 film that I can't believe I'd never heard of before now. Agreed. Like, I'm like, this feels like one of those I don't know, like, legendarily bad films that you should know about well, like, that has been reconsidered since. Okay, thank you, because yeah. I, I had a lot of fun with this movie, actually. No, 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 I don't dislike this movie, but there's no question why it was a bomb. No, like, so you start the movie and it begins cold with you not being aware that you're living in an alternate universe and Jeff Bridges is on an island, phone sexting his girlfriend, <laughs> and... This guy shows up with a mauled body, and this guy's dying words were basically, yeah, when your brother was president, I'm the one who murdered him. And then, yeah, and so it begins this uh, kind of cat and mouse political uh, investigation that Jeff Bridges is doing. And let's say in a very comedic, no question comedic sense. Like they're not, and not broadly comic, but like 
it reminds me a little bit of something like they're going after the comedy of something like Catch-22, but felt like they're it, not making it work, really, but that's what they're chasing. It felt like someone Vonnegut, took a Vonnegut. Kubrick script and it, then gave it to not Kubrick. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but like, like... Like, it's trying to be wry. And, and the movie was... It's very much about Kennedy, but yeah, what's but they can't brilliant say that. is that since we're now decades separated from that... Uh, it's not really Kennedy anymore. It's about it's a satire about the about the outrageously rich and the bullshit stuff that is their life and how completely devoid and separate they are from anything that we regard as regular living. And there's some great fucking actors in this movie. First off, like it's yeah, like a really great cast of people here. John Huston plays the ridiculously rich dad of Jeff Bridges and Jeff Bridges wants nothing to do with this huge uh, like uh, giant corporation. Anthony Perkins is Eli Wallach. Upon. Eli Wallach, Toshiro Mifune, Sterling Hayden, uh, 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 Richard Boone, Ralph Meeker. I mean, it's like a lot of people you're like, oh, these are people from the 70s you saw in every single yeah. movie where you're like, oh my god, I know them, I know yeah. them, I know them. But it's just this big, it's like the Southland Tales of its time well, in a yeah, weird sort of way. Nobody acts like they do in the real world. No. The, the first time there's a big public shooting, it, it took me a second to a point where I had to rewind the movie and kind of rewatch that bit. Because it was just like, oh, he, he, he just ran across the street and called his dad. Like that that's what he did when someone shot at him and killed everyone in the car he's in? That's that's not what normal people do. Yeah, it's, What's going on here? It's a film <laughs> that, like, I felt like if it had taken itself a little more seriously, it would have been a better film, quite frankly. Just a little bit. You mean like, if it had something I, I think serious that it, to say instead of the comedy? I think that it never, it never nails the comedy, but, but it... It so gets away from trying to actually have anything to say. It just goes all over the goddamn place. The script is my problem with it. Yeah, it it just goes everywhere. And it's like, it wants to be this big Dr. Strangelove comedy. And it's just so totally does not work. But it's this weird 70s curiosity of a film that I can't believe I've never heard of before now. That kind of, if this is your thing, you kind of have to see it just to believe it exists. And just to fuck with you, this was my runner-up for pick of the week. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, And apparently, like, this is one of those films that was such a huge bomb, and a lot of stars were apparently kind of conned and lied to to even be in this film in the first place. It apparently pissed people off big time when it came out. People were not happy about this movie at all, and a lot of people came out with sort of like, it wasn't my fault, I didn't know, they told me this was something it wasn't going to be. There was a lot of, like apologetic like it was like when ishtar came out it was like a lot of like apologetic like i'm sorry i thought it was going to be something else look it's not as anywhere near as bad as maybe i'm making it sound it's it's a lot of fun i I legitimately enjoyed this movie okay but it's also fucking weird like I, i can't emphasize the fact that this is not the real world at all but if you go into it with that idea of oh, th- this is a satire of the wealthy and how their lives are so drastically different, they're just not even people anymore. Yeah. Then it's very funny. <laughs> and, uh, John, I think John Huston is actually a riot in this film. Uh, yeah. You the, know, I mean, legendary oh, film director and actor, but he is so funny in you this know, When you first see him, he pulls up in a 
golf cart with a two like Playboy centerfolds on either side of him with a blanket over his lap and he's like, you don't know what they're doing under here. They could be playing with my testicles. <laughs> like, no subterfuge. Just like, yeah. Well, I like the fact that this Kino re-release actually uh, falls into some discussion of this stuff of like, what's wrong? What happened? There's a uh, archival featurette called Who Killed Winter Kills that looks at the production history of this, interviews with the director, with Jeff Bridges, with the cinematographer and the production designer, amongst many others. That originally, when Anchor Bay Entertainment put out the DVD release of this film, um, there's reunion, interview with the star and director, another archival interview with Jeff Bridges and the director here talking about uh, the film and that's actually a really funny feature where they're both kind of laughing about it because why not you know and it's uh, based on a book and it this is based was on unique a book. enough that I kind of want to read the book well, it is actually, there's an interview with the uh, author, William, William uh, or I'm sorry, with the director, William Reichert, uh, who talks about uh, more funny stories about that. There's an audio commentary with William Reichert. Uh, there is radio spots, trailers. I mean, it's actually a pretty solid package for a film no one remembers. <laughs> oh, Reichert. I heard William Reicher. I was like, wait, what? No, no. no. What, really? No, it was his, it was his clone was transporter brother. Uh, next up, we have another... Uh, release from a company that we really respect much like Kino putting out lots of great uh, archival re-releases uh, that is Arrow they're re-releasing The Far Country a 1955 Technicolor Western directed by the great Anthony Mann and starring the great Jim James Stewart now Jimmy Stewart I'm a well I'm a I'm a huge Jimmy Stewart fan <laughs> I'm a big fan of all his work I'm not going to go that far. Not, not a big I fan of the man. Not a big fan of this particular film. I will <laughs> okay. be straight up and say, like, I was so excited to see this movie because it was very well received when it came out. Like, very well received. Um, it's the fourth Western film collaboration between Anthony Mann and James Stewart, which had generally been very hot. And I was like, this is not how I like to see Jimmy Stewart. It's a weird movie. It follows, He's a shithead. He's a villain. Yeah. In any other movie, he is the villain of the movie. Yeah. Like, like they're I going don't for... think he has a non-selfish act until the last five minutes of the movie. Look, he's always, with Anthony Mann specifically, all his films with him, he's always playing sort of a gray character exploring dimensions of gray. But this one, he's just a prick. Yeah, he's just a bad guy. I, I, I was like... I don't want to see Jimmy Stewart films where I don't just love him. Well, and it's weird <laughs> even too, when he's great. Not only is, is the main character ostensibly a villain, but also that they start four different movies in this movie. Yeah, like they they have a setup for a movie, and it's like, oh, this is going to be this madcap romance adventure where they're on a boat going to the UK. Oh no, they're, they're done with the boat ride. Okay, okay, this is going to be about him dealing with this corrupt government. No, no, they're done with that. Okay, okay, well, this is going to be about them doing and like they set it up four or five times before the movie actually gets in, and I think it's an hour in before the proper plot of nope, the movie it's a, starts to happen. It takes a while. I mean, so it's him and his best friend, uh, much older than him, the, the Walter Brennan, who is, many people have said, is the quintessential character actor over time. In fact, I learned this by falling down a deep wiki dive. He was actually 
there was a conspiracy thing <laughs> with the Academy Awards where apparently, like, he was in so many goddamn movies playing Walter Brennan. I mean, like, he's like a legend, like, with his sure. whole, like, wow, I can't do an impression. I'm not yeah, even yeah, try. Marco's in the corner. Can you do a Walter Brennan impression? Well, yes, I can, but it does sound more like a. It sounds more like a Gabby Hayes. Now you're thinking of someone else. Yeah. That's more Gabby Hayes. That's not him. Uh, <laughs> anyway, if you heard you his, you heard his voice, you'd be like, "Oh, it's the guy who does voiceovers for Disney live action stuff yeah. in the '60s." Like, he's one of those guys. He's just so fucking iconic. But there, does uh, driving a herd of ca- cattle to the Yukon. Uh, he meets a really corrupt. Hanging Judge, played by John McIntyre, who also was a, a big Western st- uh, staple. He was actually the star of Wagon Train on NBC. Uh, he, But he gets on the good side of the... Uh, the not femme fatale. What do well, you call- she's that equivalent of a character. Yeah. She's, she's the wealthy um, owner of the bar who kind of travels with him, who, by the way... Based on nothing except for the knowledge that he is accused of murder, she still gets into bed with him. Yeah, yeah. Like, within five minutes of meeting him. So, he gets on the good side of the rich landowner chick who has a relationship with the judge, not sexual, but, like, business, and manages to get into a deal where he's going to help, like, some local people do their thing and move his cattle and it works out well for everyone. Right. But then shit goes wrong along the way. There's a weird sort of like worthy of mystery science theater, bad movie avalanche that happens. Yeah. It just, the movie wants to be a lot of things and it ends up just not being any of those it, things. And, and Jimmy Stewart is so thoroughly unlikable through the whole thing. Well, and, and then the last th- so they do the one thing that they do well is they do a good job of not hitting every standard uh cliched note that you have to hit in this kind of a western movie until the last 15 minutes of the movie where they hit every single one of those cliches in that 15 minute time period. Yeah. And it's just I was rolling my eyes. For the record I confuse Walter Brennan with Walter Houston. Yeah, I was going to say, what were I was you thinking doing? Walter Houston in Treasure of the Sierra Madre, who's kind of doing his best Gabby Hayes impersonation. Sorry, Marco's here in the background drinking beer, and I was like, you got to know Walker. Walter several Brennan, beers. Walter, Get it right. Walter Brennan is. Trust me, look it up. Like, go on YouTube, go Walter Brennan, and you'll be like, oh, I know that voice. Yeah, and, yeah, you know. I mean, there's literally people on Looney Tunes cartoons who have imitated him as yeah. a standard shtick, because he's so... The conspiracy, by the way, is that... Like he was tied into there was a uniony thing and there was a lot of stuff where he kept winning best supporting actor like over and over and over again and it actually changed the rules of voting at the Academy Awards because of how many times he had won best supporting <laughs> I actor. Did not know this. Yeah, it was kind of a thing. <laughs> but anyway, the extra features here are from Arrow. There's audio commentary by film scholar Adrian Martin. There's American Frontiers Anthony Mann at Universal. That's the director Anthony Mann, uh, which is the overview for 33 minutes with his work at the studio is man of the west you know man like m-a-n-n his name not, you know, it's a pun it's a pun uh-huh. Aaron you get it okay good uh, is a, another uh, interviewing appeal with uh, Kim Newman which is one of my favorite guys they get on on these arrow things like he's always so excited he's just so he's fun so happy. he's just a fun guy who, who talks about man's career in those trailers and galleries and uh, that's the far country 
I love West old westerns. This is not one that I thought was yeah, really I, that good. I'm a big fan of westerns, modern westerns especially, but yeah, this was okay. Well, let's talk about Aaron's favorite movie during our stack, and that is Yesterday Was oh Alive. God. Oh my God. I was so excited to get this film, actually. Were I, you? <laughs> I was, because I was reading about this online, and all these people were like, this is this brilliant sci-fi deconstruction mixed with noir films and it's got peter mayhew played chewbacca playing a small role in it and it's got uh oh what the hell is her name uh Uh, chase masterson who was uh, like best known for playing the sexy debo she was was nog's Uh, wife in ds9 yeah nog's (laughs) wife on ds she plays the like fucking sexy casino girl on on, uh, on DS9, yeah. yeah. On Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's who that was. I mean, like, not even a major Star Trek character. No, no, no. She, she admittedly, I had a crush on her back then, but still. Oh, well, yeah, everyone did. She, she's, John Newton, she's who played character. in the show Super, Superboy, he played Clark Kent in the first season. Uh, I was like, okay, so clearly this has some geek roots, right? With this sort of yeah. casting. And some of the reviews are like from festivals and this thing's covered with like laurels, you know, yeah. as you do. And you're like, Oh, all these tiny festivals you never heard of giving it best film and shit. And you're like, okay. Yeah. I, I, when I Googled this movie, which I did halfway through, yeah. I was shocked by the reviews and how many different best director and best cinematography this won at different festivals. Yeah. It, to a point that I had to then IMDb the movie and make sure that I was indeed watching the right movie. Same thing. Same thing. <laughs> I was like, no way. This is this black and white film. It plays a, a it, like it, it playing, not even playing with, just nailing over your head the most noirish tropes there are, except gender swapping. Super hard drinking female private investigator named Hoyle, played by Kip Lay Brown, who herself played a character on Star Trek Enterprise, uh, sets a, is is trying to find this guy John Newton who is a reclusive genius who's the Superboy guy I was talking about who apparently is somehow tied into a case that has something to do with quantum physics Uh, her life gets weirder and weirder she gets into a weird sort of pseudo relationship with a sexy lounge singer played by Chase Masterson who is who is who I spent the entire movie going she's clearly a figment of your imagination that's what it felt like because they're even wearing the exact same dress yeah no I mean there's so much stuff here that clearly feels like we're supposed to be getting something out of this like with (laughs) things like that that I'm like I don't know if this movie is going so far over my head that I just have no, no clue what's going on or if it's going so far under my head that I can't stoop to its level. No, this movie was, this was a terrible movie. Um, the dialogue makes that Merovingian bit in the second Matrix movie seem like Academy Award winning dialogue, <laughs> which like I, I, I have defended the Matrix sequels before, but yeah. Like, they don't have great scripts. No, this is like and a like, whole... This is that, like, let's sit here and have a, a an actual, in-depth, plot-based conversation on quantum physics and not <laughs> dumb it down. It just doesn't work at all. <clears throat> this is a whole movie based on that Merovingian speech. Yeah, yeah. It's like the whole thing. Like, that's five minutes. Annoyingly mixed into a sort of superficial... Uh, understanding of noir, classic noir films. Well, and, and they randomly break into these existential conversations. It never feels real. It never feels like these are actual people instead of just people, fake cardboard characters spouting off these lines. I mean, it's not 
well shot. I, like, I, like, there's two no. or three shots where I was like, wow, that was a cool shot. Otherwise, this feels like a student production. Like, like this totally. legitimately feels like someone, their script won their senior level, you know, classes competition, and theirs is the one that they're going to throw a hundred grand behind. I was- and so, like, like, all of the sets are poorly built. They're, they're shot on, here's just a blank wall. Like, like one blank wall. And there's, there's the, the, the two extras in back behind saying apples and oranges over and over again. And <laughs> they just, this was a student film. A very well it's done student what it film, felt like. But yeah. it was a student film. I just, I felt embarrassed for everyone watching this God, the whole time. Too. I just constantly felt embarrassed. I was like, look, there are films that deal with higher level, like, like physics stuff primer. and ideas that are really interesting and have found angles to make it work. You said primer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, what is the one I'm thinking of? about the guy who like is basically, I've been, I was a caveman and I've been alive for like a thousand years. Oh, the man, uh, not the man, the man from earth. earth, the man from earth. Yeah. Yes. Which I really liked a yeah, lot, Great movie. but super low budget, but it works. This is one that is trying to do that kind of thing, but in a very, but in its own way. And it, totally falls well, on its face. Their script is weak, and instead of going, we have limited funds, so what can we do? They went, we have limited funds, so let's do this in the best way we can. I mean, just... Which, it just doesn't work as well. So they keep trying to overreach, and it just doesn't work. No, it doesn't. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't know how much we can even say about this one, because just I think we both skip deeply despised this <laughs> film. I did. I really kind of despised this film. I did, film. too. The, 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 this was my second most hated movie I had to watch. Uh, there's a ton of bonus features on this, shockingly. Because everyone loves it, but you admit Yeah, I guess... <laughs> Including commentaries, uh, featurettes, uh, lots of little, like, EPKs type stuff. But, like, wow, this is outtakes. Like, this is a thing that there were apparently multiple, I can only assume, very low-budget sci-fi festivals played this and gave it awards. I can only assume because everything else at those festivals was just so much worse. Maybe 2009 was just a really shit year for indie film. It's And this is, they made this huge deal out of re-releasing this. Yeah. They were like, oh my god, we're so excited, we get to re-release this? This is the 10th anniversary cut. Yeah, it's IndiePix Films, they're like super excited about like, oh yeah, this is a festival classic. Hey, Ain't It Cool News has a quote on the front. Yeah, well, we don't talk about Ain't It Cool News. I know, I'm just, they're, they're, they were semi-legit. <laughs> so you say. Well, let's talk about a weird film that I liked a lot better than this weird film, and that's the French 1979 film Buffet Freud. Now, I'm not going to go so far as to say this is a uh, movie that everyone should see. I'm not going to go so far as to say this is an all-time classic, but I will say that this is a film that, in its terms of absurdist surrealism, kind of hit me where I live. You know, this one worked very similarly to me that uh, Winter Kills did. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, this isn't the real world in any way, shape, or form, and I'm kind of with it. It's incredibly pretentious. It's incredibly (laughs) French. And doesn't make any sense if you try and, like in any way put real world logic onto it. It's it's but a, it's a lot of fun. It's a French crime thriller with Gerard sure. Depardieu. We'll which back when he was young and quote sexy because but, apparently no. apparently people felt that way. He, you know, what is that like to I'm, be truly sexy? You have to be kind of ugly. Yeah, yeah. Like Adam Driver like yeah. everyone loves him. Yeah. He's, and he was that thing. He's like he's kind of ugly Gerard Depardieu, but <laughs> yeah. but people thought he was sexy as so, fuck. Gerard Depardieu, I'll admit, if it's a French movie with him in it, I'm I'm here. 
Uh, I've always kind of dug him Look, as an actor. He's a weirdo, but I like him. This reminded me of Rhinoceros, kind of. I have not seen it. Did you not see it? I must have reviewed that one with John. It's it's an absurdist... It felt like an absurdist play. Like, uh, it's a very odd, very clearly not on anything vaguely resembling reality sort of thing that you could literally do as a play, yeah, a so, stage so, play. So, well, the movie itself, we should give some semblance of a plot description. Do it. Uh, Gerard Depardieu... I want to see how this plays out. Sure. ...is an out-of-work something, and... <laughs> I he's don't an remember. Accountant. Was he an accountant? I yeah. couldn't remember if he was no, an accountant wait, no, or a no, musician. No, 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 no. No. I thought he was a musician. Oh, he's a philosopher. There we go. Yeah. A philosopher. No, the guy he meets in the beginning is an accountant. Okay. So he meets a guy in a train station in a very awkward, like, kind of a creepy, I'm stalking you meeting, where he basically pulls out this his knife and goes, like, look, man, I, I just want to have a friend or else I think I'm going to murder somebody. And it ends with them throwing the knife away and losing it. And fast forward like 30 minutes in their world, and he finds this guy he's been talking to with his knife buried in his gut. And this guy's just like, I guess I'm going to die now. And so he takes his knife, goes back to see his wife, who is promptly murdered by somebody else. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, a upstairs neighbor is a famous investigator who he walks up and meets this upstairs neighbor and then meets the man who murdered his wife. And the three of them kind of have an adventure. Yeah. Of sorts. Yeah. And like it it involves other people. A surprising amount of people die. And it's all very kind of fun. Let me me reiterate what you said (laughs) in a sense, uh, because I feel like this needs to be emphasized. It's a uh, a mystery comedy where a guy whose wife has been murdered, the guy who murdered his wife shows up and said, I'm sorry I murdered your wife. Yeah. Uh, and he goes, oh, come on in, have some wine, hang out. And then a police investigator shows up, who is his next door neighbor, and like, hey, uh, I want you to meet the guy who murdered my wife. And the three of them proceed on a series of adventures that involve them murdering and hiding bodies. Yeah, several, in a, several. In a way that is completely, to them, sensible and rational. And I don't mean, like, crime thriller. I mean, this is absurdist surrealism. Yeah. Again, like, I, I feel like if we if we were French people alive in the era that this came out, this would have a lot of deep meaning. Yeah. And like, oh, shit, that's a reference to this political movement, and that's yeah, a reference maybe? to this. But I'm like, okay, I don't get any of that. It's I just kind either. of funny. Yeah, no, I found this kind of, like, it's lightly amusing, and it's so goddamn oddball. It, it, it's one of those movies that if you like films like Rubber or something yeah, like that, I'd, I'd be like, man, this is totally worth seeking out, and I can't believe this was from 1979. Very deadpan, very, you're never going to laugh out loud, but you're going to go, huh. A lot. It, it felt more modern than 70s. Uh, yeah. A lot more. I would have said this was 90s watching I, it. I think you it's know? because of the way they shot the movie. He has a good eye for camera work. Oh, yeah. Actor. Yeah. I, I I actually found this kind of weirdly charming and fun. Yeah. Um, I like these type of films when they're done right. And this one is like one of those like, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm having a good time not knowing what's going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's kind of fun. Like, like Holy Rollers or something. Um, uh, there's a few extra features here. There's a booklet essay by film critic Gavin Smith 
Uh, there's a, uh, ar- ar- archival interview with the director and audio commentary, uh, track with film critic Nick Pickerton. But I actually, like I said, if you know, if this sounds like your type of thing, it actually probably is. I would recommend this as well. This is worthy. Well, going into horror, we have Red Letter Day. <laughs> oh boy. What does that sound mean? It was just. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, when I when I texted you, when you texted me, I'm watching Red Letter Day. You're like, I'm kind of liking. It. I'm like, it sucked. And I, you're like, really? I kind of like it. I, I did kind of like it. it. Look, it's it's incredibly derivative. We've seen this movie done better. Go see The Purge. They're awesome. Um, well, not Purge One. Purge Two, Three, and I like four. Purge One. Yeah, Fuck that's everybody. You have bad taste. Um, <sighs> <laughs> Shut so, up, Marco. Like, the, the Purge does it better, but let's move on. The movie is only an hour and ten minutes, which helps it. Maybe an hour and fifteen. Uh, because it doesn't really have a lot of meat on its bones. But the essential rub is that uh, one random day, everybody in America, uh, maybe, gets a letter... And in it, yeah, they're has, not clear. It feels yeah. like I, I felt like it was a neighborhood. At, at first, I thought it was just the neighborhood, but there's implications of broader areas. Like right. there, there's a lot that's hinted at that could make it cool. So they all get a red letter in but their. They in all their get mail. a red letter that has a picture of somebody nearby and basically says, "Like this person is the exact antithesis of you. You ought to go kill them because they got this letter too, and they might come kill you. Yeah, so you better do it before they do. And that's it." And shit unravels. Yeah. Which unfortunately is kind of the biggest uh, hurdle this movie has that it never quite leaps. Like, it needs one more addition. You know, The Purge, they have that, like, natural, yeah, society really wants to break, but they have the government coming out and going, it's legal. So The the Purge has that advantage of saying, like, we're telling you this is okay. Yeah. And saying that, like, and people going... Which I thought they they addressed in later films well, that sort of people going, no, of course we're not going to do that, and then ending up doing it. Makes sense, because the government says you can't get in trouble. This one does not have that. You can't get in trouble. And and it it needed that thing. It needed a chemical on the letters that made people go crazy. It needed to be a legal government um, message. Something. Because as it is, when shit starts to unravel, it never feels real. There's one good scene in this whole movie. Where the mom in this house, who finds out her antithesis is the is the dad of no no it, it was, was the, the wife. actual it, it, wife it who their, is ostensibly like her friend her bestie she goes to her house goes this is ridiculous what are we doing and that the whole that scene where they're sitting there and it goes from like of course this is ridiculous to devolving into chaos and violence is a really good scene. I, I, there's a scene that's paired with that of one of her kids driving off a guy with a set of tools trying to get into their house because apparently he was that kid's antithesis which again why would why would that be enough for to kill him but whatever i really liked that bit like anytime this movie was dealing with actual gore i was into it the gore was well shot <laughs> you're a monster yeah i am <laughs> who liked to door the explorer that's what i do <laughs> it would have been better if they had broken out chainsaws at some point <laughs> but like like that like was in a, this film it, it was fun to watch somebody use just your everyday tools to break into a house because it's flipping easy you can do that if you know how i but that being You're said... You're scaring me. Sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I have an interesting past. What can I say? Um, 
<laughs> but more you know, on that later. The, <laughs> the movie never really did enough. It, it needed punch up. We'll oh, call it. I mean, it. It's. It's. It. I kept saying it feels like the asylum version of the Purge. You know, and I'm sorry, here, it kind of does. Here it was. But. So, so there were two movies that felt like student films that we got. Yes, yes, the yesterday whatever movie and Red Letter Day. Yeah, yesterday whatever that felt like a true blue student film that shouldn't have ever seen the light of day. This feels like something being done by people who had some interesting ideas and have some talent, but just don't have a budget yet. Like, yeah. like I can see these guys but they, but even, making a decent horror. But film. even so they like, they missed the whole really essential thing. Like your conceit has to feel plausible. Agreed. And it never feels plausible. I, I feel like they're really nihilistic people who think that we all just want to kill each other. Oh no. And that's part of it. It's, got an ugly sense to it. It's mm-hmm. got an ugly feel to it where you're like, yeah, I get it. We live in a harsh world, but you're just making me a, making me watch a movie about how people me- are how mean they are to each other in a way that you assume that I'm with you in a way that I'm not that you yeah. need to sell me on. Exactly. You know, and they don't sell you. You need on to it. push whatever it is that's going to drive people to fray apart like this. But it's not a terribly made film. It just I think its biggest problem in the budget, it's a script. I, I think Agreed. it needed something to push it to that point where it would have been convincing. I, I think that if you're into really low-budget, low-key horror, you, you might get a kick Acceptable. out of this. Acceptable. Yeah. You know, like those kinds of just indie splatter films. So you can see, yay, people who have no money trying to make something special. But if you're not into that kind of movie, this is not for you. Well, speaking of films that uh, if you're not really into a specific niche type of horror, this will not be for you. Let's talk about hitchhike to hell oh fuck chris holy shit i mean like come on look guys at arrow video i love you guys i love what you do you are the criterion of like of schlock you are like but sometimes of really great stuff too that's gone underappreciated sure you know i mean they did uh, uh 12 monkeys re-release recently that was amazing and they also put out a lot of stuff that never should have seen the light of day well this is one that was like 1977 feature that was done by a just schlock sleaze production company that was doing nothing but um like basically grindhouse softcore and well, they were doing porn educational films yeah like well, like or movies. not even educational films those uh like blood on the highway well they were doing films. like reefer badness or like you said well that was the, the little before that, red but, asphalt yeah. like like educational films that we're just like, let me scare you into being normal. Well, for some reason, they took the 16 millimeter film and decided Arrow and decided to upgrade it to 2K. Not money well spent. I mean, I guess there is an audience for this stuff. It is not me. Uh, I this story that is very loosely based on, I guess, multiple different killings like Ted Bundy and Kemper, the Skid Row slasher, the Zodiac killer, the Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders. It's this guy, Robert Gribben, playing Har- Howard Who Martin. Looks just like Stephen King. He, he kind of does. Freaked me out. Young Stephen King. Young yeah. Stephen King. Yeah, he's so. a dry cleaning delivery guy. He's like. Like somebody you feel like should be like 
singing uh, zippity doo da zippity day when you first meet him, right? Sure. Like, uh, like he's just like, yeah, I live in Cal- Southern California, and I, you know what? I'm just like out there to be an all American boy. But he picks up a hitchhiker, and she starts talking about how she's running away, and then he takes her and he fucking murders her. Hold on, you're, you're missing the the key moment there. She badmouths her mama. Yeah, that's his trigger. If you run away. And you don't badmouth your mama because one kid is like, no, I love my parents. They're great. He doesn't touch her. But if you badmouth your mama, man, he got to take those. Uh, he, he has to take those glasses off, and they do the little uh, Kill Bill pull ran, in and out. Ran, ran, ran. <laughs> And, and yeah. then he rapes and murders. He goes, he rapes and murders. Although, uh, thankfully, the film keeps the rape to just pulling the shirt open, yes. and that's about it. But you know. He, uh, and lots of just screaming. Yeah. He, it's, and then he doesn't remember doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he has to come back and go with, and the boss is like, why are you late? He's like, I don't actually know. <laughs> and his overprotective mother. And it's so, it's just, I mean, really the, the, like this, if this is his, I can't imagine what this was like to watch before this upgrade because it looks, Terrible. Well, I'm like, I, I, I watched some of the special features before I saw the movie, because why would I after I saw the movie? True. Um, and the history was kind of interesting, how the guy who directed this had primarily done porn, and this was his attempt to make a legitimate movie, and he purposefully made it a message film, a la Reaper Madness, because that allowed you to get by with more extreme content through the censorship boards. And like, like there was some of the, like film history of exploitation cinema that surrounds this that's actually kind of cool. Which may be the only reason and, and, you even well, they, picked this up. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. But Because the movie itself is not... It's barely watchable. This movie is without a single redeeming feature to its entirely. Yeah. I hated every frame of it. It is despicable. The message... Excuse me. The message itself is horrible. Every single time someone was talking about their shitty life, I was like, you know, like, they're probably getting raped at home, or they're, like, getting abused every day, and you're telling them to go back to parents. Yeah. Like, I, I know too much now to, in any way, take this movie at face value. Oh, yeah. The, no, I mean, you only get this thing for the bonus features, and Arrow puts together a nice selection of those, even though some of them I'm like, guys, I think you're trying a little too hard to say something nice about this film the only extra feature we need here is one talking about the tendency of these what these why these films exist at all yeah and a bigger scope you know like why did these films happen why did this film exist why do other films like it exist yeah. and why was it even what you know what, what was the reason why people were even seeing it you know if, if you want to watch some pretty cool material on the background of exploitation cinema and how it existed in tandem with the idea of a moral picture like a message film you ought to buy this because it's got some cool special features, but don't ever watch the movie. All right. So we're going to go to our, our next to last because our last one I didn't give you the disc for, but you've seen. But we'll get to get to that. Our next to last is my pick of the week, which is The Divine Fury. And this, I think, much like in a very different way that Dora in the, uh, in the City of Gold is your pick of the week. This is mine where I'm like, well... It appeals to my <laughs> types of interests. Sure, and it surprised me. It. Uh, 
I this movie was okay. <laughs> look, it was it was enjoyable. Look, I a, had a fun time. It's a South Korean <laughs> film where <laughs> this is such a bizarre idea, quite frankly. So this guy is a martial arts champion, like and and like and more MMA type thing. Well, you're right? missing the 22 minute opening sequence, which exists only to tell you he hates God. Yes. Yeah, he's very angry at God because of his past. And and despite being begged by his what is his his father, please like, you know, don't don't hate God because of this. He goes on to hate God and and transfers his anger into violence and but in a not being a gangster, he's a he's professional fighter. fighter. Yeah, exactly. He's a famous like a very well-known fa- not in real life but in the movies. Was he not? Con- this is one of those like I I assumed no, it was a Gina Carano thing no, no, where no, I was no. like, "Oh, I no. guess he's a real MMA no, fighter." No, I mean, I don't know but the actor Park uh Seo Jun uh, he, now he is best known for TV dramas. So okay, no. there you go. Never mind. Uh, but uh, dude's ripped. <laughs> so he's ripped. He's a good fighter. There's some cool fight scenes early on where you're like, oh shit, this guy's unstoppable. And he's kind of like, but you see that he starts having like hallucinations that make him angry. Well, that, and he that, gets the stigmata pretty well, quick well, in the movie too. Yeah, where he when he gets really angry, he starts bleeding out of his palms. Yeah, and you're like, what is going on, movie? Well, as it turns out. Like, because of whatever happened to the shit that happened to him when he was younger, that he's been picked by God in a way that's never really been detailed to have superpowers. Yeah. And his stigmata, once he hooks up with a, 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 a sort of like rebel priest who does exorcisms, finds out that like this guy's stigmata is like the superpower where he can just grab the side of a possessed guy's head. No need for all the excess stuff. That demon has to go immediately. It, it works a lot like it did <laughs> in that Showtime show Outlast or Outreach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I mean it was it's a cool idea. Yeah. He's a superpowered exorcist. Yeah. With martial arts skills. And I'm like I'm in. <laughs> I'm like I kind of like this right now. And it's dumb as shit, but I'm like, this felt like Blade if it was like, instead of fighting like vampires, he was fighting possessed people. I I had some issues with it. Oh, no, Um, I did too. No question. The idea is cool. And and like, as you're pitching it to me, this sounds like my kind of movie. Yeah. The problem is, is that instead of, well, one, they waste 20 minutes in the beginning on what could have been like a sentence of exposition. But... The problem is, is that they spend a lot of time pushing on this, this, oh, I hate God, but I want to do this work transition he makes from being an MMA fighter to basically a traveling priest. But they never, but, they but, never but, but, managed but, to make that work. They don't, it doesn't work and they don't really go into detail on like what his hand is or what it means or why it exists. And so the, the story around it, I was never into. And so like the whole second act is just, kind of me rolling my eyes until it gets into the third act when he gets into like he starts doing kung fu fighting and using his MMA skills to fight demons and, and it felt like it felt like that was the movie they should have made where he was using his skills and applying them to hunting demons or made a movie where this guy is trying to figure out why his hand is bleeding and what it means because yeah. he's relatively blase about that happening and like, 
it was a good idea. I think they just never really went whole hog with it the way they could have. And so, like, I was going, oh, well, that was cool. It had a good third act. I, I liked the ending of the movie. But it was okay. It was okay. No, it's 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 just odd enough and featuring a lot of the things that I love, but mixed up in this weird mashup of, like, what are you doing? Which, that fair. I was, like constantly entertained as hell by it. I, I think I also had the problem of relatively recently I saw the Exorcist TV series. Yeah. Which is phenomenal. It's so great. And it does all of the exorcism stuff so well. And so this movie spends a decent chunk of its time in exorcism scenes, which if you're not going to, if you don't buy into those, it's, it's a lot of time like, spent. I say you remember when every single Hollywood company was trying to set up a, a cinematic universe. I mean, it was literally like stopped about a year and a half ago yeah. where they all just sort of backed away from it a little bit, but you know what I'm talking about. Marvel's the only one who's ever done it right. <laughs> exactly. They are. But you remember when they're all trying to like, Oh, we're this is a, and this is a cliffhanger. Yeah. So this movie is that movie. Where they're like, oh yeah, where oh, they're like, totally like, this is the beginning of a cinematic universe for like martial arts exorcists with superpowers. You know what? I'm on that board literally for that. starts with, ends with a the, the the this guy who is a ineffectual sidekick to the priest character in here, not even the martial arts character who's not even in the film that much. They're like, they give him a superhero name at the He's the end, green priest. The green priest at the end of the film, the green priest will return I, I, in. I'm not gonna lie, for all that I did not <laughs> care for this movie all that much, I'm ready for the sequel. Oh, I'm like totally ready And, for and the I'm sequel. even here for the green priest because once you get rid of all that crap where they were setting things up once they got into it, it was really cool. Dude, exorcist superheroes, I'm like, this is fun. I don't know what to tell Dude, you. He's fighting demons with MMA fighting skills. Yeah. That's cool. I have nothing to complain about, quite frankly. It's like, it's a mess. And I loved it. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's enough. a couple making of EPKs, but nothing really to write home about. Let's end this thing with talking about Game of Thrones Season 8. They right. just put out... The Blu-ray set. The Blu-ray set is really nice. If you get the steel box, uh, do you see the steel box over there? I do not. I see the regular. Uh, there, there you go. No, no, no. Open that oh. plastic up. So oh. they put it in a plastic case now. Oh, that, that pull open that plastic case, Aaron. You do it at the top there. Just kind of don't rip it. Don't, 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 don't pressure me. I'm pressuring you. <laughs> so a steel box inside a plastic case that comes with this cool little fucking, Aww. like, isn't that cool? Yeah, you yeah, hear so that? It comes with a, a little uh, medallion with some obsidian, some dragon glass. Yeah, stuff. yeah, exactly. Oh, it's a magnet. It's really cool. I was like, oh, dig it. All right, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. no, this and it's cool. a really cool design it's for cool the steel box. Set. I was like, oh man, y'all are kind of nailing it with this. Even though I know you fans out there were like season eight. I don't know. Right, I'm look, like, it was fine. Here, here's Come what on. I'm gonna say about it. Uh, if you look at the bullet point outlines, I have no issues with any major event that happened in the season. I think they all tracked. However, uh oh, I will acknowledge that. This is the worst written, most stereotype season of the show. And if it had, if this had been any other series, we would have gone, that was a pretty good final season. 
but because the first six the or so seasons alone, yeah. are so well written and so well done, I'm not even. I do not think that the issue was when they went off book. I think that the issue was that they wanted to be out of this contract and they rushed it a bit. Yeah, and then um, even for their reasons of doing that, yeah, they didn't even yeah, yeah. get to do it. The Star Wars film, but, so, like, oh. so like, I think you can very clearly tell that. And and to the people who have issues. With the um, how they treat women in this season, fair. Some of it I agree with, some of it I don't. Um, but it, this is still a great show. Like, like in any other series, this would have been a phenomenal season. We're only bitching and angry about it because, quite frankly, it is the worst season. It should not have been a shortened season. Agreed. And, and their reasoning was like, like you said, maybe it was that they wanted to go off and do their other thing. Uh, maybe it was because th- these were the most expensive produced episodes of them. And they HBO was like, we can't afford to do a fucking full season if you're, they're going to be that expensive. Well, they, yeah. Whatever it is, it needed three more episodes. Minimum. To, to flesh out the things that everyone wanted to see flesh out. In fact, the best episode, I think, inarguably for me of the season is episode two, which is all just people talking. Is it, wait, wait, is that the drinking episode? Yes. Thank you. Favorite episode of the series. Yeah, it's so great. It's it, a it, really like, great episode. Out, it might be my favorite of the whole it's show. It's an amazing it's episode. so character-based. It's entirely character-based, and I think that that is where HBO was shocked that that was one of the most popular episodes, because, like, all the, we spent all the, we spent the money on all the other ones. It's like, yeah, but you remember we cared about these characters, yeah. right? Um, it's kind of a shame. It is because, like, I I'm still I want to rewatch it. I've, I've yeah, said for I a while will, for sure that Game of Thrones is one of those shows that I now that it's done, I want to go back and do a let me watch it start to finish, yeah. knowing what happens and yeah. being aware of it. absolutely. But but it does it. It sounds you a little bit because you know that the last season just isn't going to be the best. No, I, and I wasn't, I didn't hate the actual ending as it were. I you know, did not either. I, I was, I know a lot of people were like mad, but you know what? They're always, I can't, almost my shot in 40 is at like level fucking DEFCON 5 right now of like, or is it one? I can't remember whichever one is more uh, serious, but uh, uh, for Star Wars, I just can't wait. To see the world explode with whatever happens. I'm like, it doesn't matter what it is. There's going to be people so mad. They're going to be taking their own lives over it. And I'm like, natural selection. Thank you very much. You sure you want to on air? You're here for suicide. Oh, no. If you're killing yourself over Star Wars. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'm just, I feel like uh, I'm going to go with Bill Hicks on this one. Hey, the world's a little lighter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but no, like, like Game of Thrones, you're right. Like it's some of what people have gotten upset about is legitimately crazy, but it's it's still good. It's just no, it is. It's been better. Yeah, it has been better. And you know what? I'm sorry, but if you didn't think that one character was going to lose their mind by the end of the series, you missed the sign. I mean, I don't disagree at all. There were this is nowhere near a perfect ending to the show. But it's still entertaining, and I admit that, like, maybe part of it is that I didn't have quite as much of a dog in this fight as a lot of people did. This is still a better ending than Lost or BSG. (laughs) I like Lost. Better than BSG. I think BSG is a better ending than Lost. I put this on an equal level with Lost. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, For me, where it was like, it didn't do everything I thought it should do. It made some big missteps, but it also did some pretty cool stuff along the way, too. There's no giant butt plug of doom. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's true. 
<laughs> so this set, like I said, the, the I got the Steelbox set, and thank you, HBO. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. That was a nice little bonus. Uh, it comes with some nice extra stuff, including in-episode guides with text pop-ups. There's audio commentaries for every single episode here. Uh, there's It comes with uh, both DVD and Blu-ray versions with three discs for uh, for each particular set here. And then the, the big extra features here are there is a 29-minute When Winter Falls, which is a making-up documentary with heavy stuff about the Battle of, battle of Winterfell. Uh, there's Duty is the Death of Love, which does the same for the final episode. And then the big one here is The Last Watch, which we actually reviewed on the site before, which is a feature-length, I mean, literally two-hour documentary about the making of the the last season that even if you didn't like the last season per se, this is a really fascinating documentary about like a ju- momentously huge production with arts it and design. History. It's television history. And it's like talking about everything that went into it and how stressful that was. And most interestingly follows this one guy who has been an extra in every single season. Who's like the <laughs> world's biggest game of Thrones fan. And they really follow this guy. And he's got this great story along the way. And he kind of becomes this sort of like amusing person. You follow through it with his passion for being part of He's it. He's Rudy. But it's, it's without the death. I mean, it's, it's an hour and 53 <laughs> minutes and it's like, this is the best thing on this whole set. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's histories and lore, which are more those animated background pieces. They did adding a little fill in on the things God, that they've had I in previous ones. Make any shows and eight and a half minutes of deleted scenes. There's more shows, Aaron. I don't know what to tell you. Like let uh, Kylo Ren's like, like let the past die. Let it die. Game of Thrones was good. It happened. It's done. All I can move on. All I can say is that you you have Watchmen. You have other stuff. Spend money on that. I don't need more Game of Thrones. You guys do realize that everyone's been like, when is George R. R. Martin going to write the last book? It's not even the last book. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the next one isn't even the last book, and he hasn't written it yet. I love the Onion. Oh, was the Onion of the Hard Times? Uh, I think it put out the thing like Stephen King just for laughs writes the, the <laughs> next book in two oh, weeks. I, he would I, do I, that too. I have too. to jump in here because you were the guy who insisted that George R. R. Martin had completed all of the books and that he had just taken a payout from HBO to sit on them until. Until the final series. Yeah. I I'm, I'm going to say this. You were wrong. Sir. I live in hope. Hold on, hold on. I would believe that. If George R. R. Martin came out and was like, you know what? Fuck it. I, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to have some fun. Yeah. They've been done for five years. And yet. I'd be like, yeah, okay, that tracks. That was my take. <laughs> that was my take before. And and Marco, you're right. I was wrong. You were wrong. It would have happened I now. said you were crazy and I was right. I thought for sure the day after the finale they were gonna <laughs> they no, were gonna dude. surprise release the george r, r. martin volume I, I, everything i have to say about game of thrones was on a, a gathering shortly after the season eight uh ended and mike McAllister was saying that no matter how much he had tried he could not get into game of thrones he had tried but he could never finish it and i said don't feel bad, Mike. Neither can George R. R. Martin. 